Hi, this is Sarah with a quick message about format before this episode commences. I just want to let you know that the early episodes of Let's Talk About Sects differ slightly from later episodes, as the production evolved as I rolled out season one. These first few episodes use voice actors, but it's an element that I decided to abandon after episode four. I want these episodes to remain available to the public, even though they don't represent the current podcast format. But if it's not to your taste, you can start with episode five about universal knowledge. Otherwise, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the podcast. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Twenty years ago this year, Japan was to become a nuclear wasteland, according to the near-blind leader of a sect who claimed that the only survivors would be his followers and 10% of the major cities. It was in the lead-up to this year of the predicted apocalypse, 1997, that he ordered shocking acts that would eventually result in his group being labelled a terrorist organisation, and himself and 12 other sect members being sentenced to death. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. I want to take a quick moment to thank you for listening. Putting this podcast out into the world was a pretty big deal for me, after more hours of research, writing and learning about audio than I care to think about, and it means a lot to have had such great feedback. So please keep it coming. Now back to cults. Because the word cult means different things to different people, and even amongst experts, we're careful to set out the criteria that we use for this podcast. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, you can do so to hear our definition, which involves a charismatic leader, methods of control, especially overleaving, beliefs about an exclusive access to the truth, and secretiveness. From here on in, I'll refer you to our website to find those details. That's ltaspod.com. Seeing as last episode we covered a millennial doomsday cult, for our third episode I thought we might stay in the same vicinity and take a look at the Japanese sect Om Shinrikyo. Before we continue, a content warning. This podcast will deal with issues that some people may find disturbing, including manipulative behaviours, references to suicide and murder. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. Chizuo Matsumoto was born on the 2nd of March 1955, the sixth of seven children to poor parents who earned their meagre existence weaving tatami mats. Suffering from infantile glaucoma, Chizuo lost all sight in his left eye and only retained partial sight in his right eye. As his parents could obtain state funding to do so, they sent him off at the age of six to a school for the blind in Kumamoto, southwestern Japan. As it turned out, Having some sight in one eye at a blind school gave Chizuo quite an edge over the other students, and he would take them out on visits to restaurants during break times if they would pay for his meals in return. 
In spite of the popularity that his partial sight afforded him for trips out of the school, when Chizuro stood for multiple student elections over his years there, he found again and again that he couldn't get the votes. He did attain a black belt in judo, and some say the other students were scared of Chizuo, which is why they didn't vote for him. Chizuo spoke of a desire to attend medical school, but failing the exams went on to study Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and married a fellow student, Tomiko Ishii, in 1978, before opening up his own shop. An indication of his flexible attitude to ethics, he was detained for 20 days and fined in 1982 for selling fake medicines. The shop went bankrupt, and Chizuo had to find a new way to support his family. In the years following, Chizuo discovered yoga and studied Hinduism and Buddhism, then opened up a yoga school that started to do well. Tomiko and Chizuo would go on to have six children with each other, though Chizuo is reported to have fathered at least 15 children altogether. Chizuo made a pilgrimage to the Himalayas in 1987, where he claimed that he had attained Satori, or Enlightenment, as well as achieving self-levitation, and he then changed his name to Shoko Asahara, a combination of bright light and hemp. At this stage, through his yoga school, he had a small following of ten, and Shoko decided to name the group Om Shinrikyo, Shinrikyo meaning supreme truth, and Om, A-U-M, as in Om, O-M, like the sacred Hindu symbol. By 1989, they had achieved official recognition as a religion in Japan. As his following grew, Shoko tried to push Om Shinrikyo's political aspirations. But as he had done in school, Shoko again failed spectacularly in the 1990 governmental elections. He would have to find another way to achieve the power that he so desperately sought. Psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton wrote a book about Om Shinrikyo in 2000, and in it he talks about the astronomical rise of new religions in Japan being a consequence of the post-war void left by Japan's emperor renouncing his deity status. After the catastrophic end of World War II, with the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Allied forces looked to democratise Japan and put an end to what they saw as its ultranationalism. At the request of General Douglas MacArthur, the then Emperor Hirohito, now known in Japan by his posthumous name, Emperor Showa, issued the Humanity Declaration, or Ningen Sengen. In this, he denied his former status as a living god, and state sponsorship of the Shinto religion ended. Today, the role of Japan's emperor is largely ceremonial and symbolic. MacArthur called for 1,000 missionaries to be sent to Japan, which he described as a spiritual vacuum. Filling this gap, there was a period known sometimes as the rush hour of the gods, in which new religions, or Shinshukyo, some based in Christianity, but more often with a base in Shintoism, popped up everywhere. This was the first wave of post-war Shinshukyo, and in the 70s there was a second wave. Shoko Asahara had a decent precedent to build upon. Wearing flowing pink robes to complement his long flowing hair and beard, Shoko Asahara appeared in the Japanese media many times over the next few years, and was even interviewed by an intrigued Takeshi Kitano in 1991. He came across as a serene, accommodating and understanding guru. Om Shinrikyo adherents were viewed as mostly harmless yoga enthusiasts, focusing on spiritual development. But they were aggressively recruiting the best and brightest science and technology students at universities. And they were succeeding. By the mid-90s, OM's membership had reached an estimated 10,000 in Japan, with more overseas, and especially in Russia, 
where Shoko once preached to a crowd of 15,000 in a Moscow stadium, and where Om conducted regular nationwide radio broadcasts, and even had a weekly half-hour Moscow television show. At its height, Om ran multiple companies and facilities ranging from travel and real estate agencies to a publishing house, distributing manga, and even a sheep station in Western Australia. A few reasons have been put forward to explain the huge success of the sect in terms of its numbers. Some say that the Japanese economic boom of the 80s left a void for those who felt alienated by the materialism of society. University of Tsukuba psychopsychology professor Susuma Oda theorised that a leader like Shoko created the father figure that so many had lacked throughout childhood due to their own father always being at work. Investigative journalist David Kaplan, who also wrote a book on the group, has the view that Japanese society's strict focus on overwhelming dedication to study above all else created a youth with superior education but lacking in social skills and knowledge of the real world, and that OM offered a community, as well as an alternate world view, for those alienated young people to believe in. Still others mention that the very top-down hierarchical structure of Japanese society, demanding absolute respect for one's superiors, fed into the willingness of so many to submit. The term hikikomori was coined around this period, describing a particularly Japanese phenomenon of modern-day hermits, mostly young men who were withdrawing from society and staying in their homes, potentially for the same reasons that some were driven to follow Shoko Asahara. As Reverend Walter DeBold says in a 2001 issue of Cultic Studies Journal, The flight to fundamentalism is an escape from personal responsibility in the direction of a childhood more easily managed by the cult leader. In David Kaplan's 1996 book on Om, he details the qualifications of some of the sect's key members. Seichi Endo, 28, who was studying genetic engineering at the prestigious Kyoto University. 24-year-old Masami Tsuchiya, a top University of Tsukuba grad, working in organic chemistry. 26-year-old Waseda University artificial intelligence student Fumihiro Joyu, who also held an advanced degree in telecommunications and left a job at Japan's National Space Development Agency to join Shoko and astrophysicist Hideo Murai, who would become OM's chief scientist. According to Kaplan, as well as Robert J. Lifton, the sect was heavily influenced by science fiction, and in particular, Isaac Asimov's The Foundation series. That series is based on the idea of a mathematician developing a way of predicting the future called psychohistory which theorises that whilst individuals' actions can't be guessed, those of large groups can be. Using this method, the mathematician predicts the impending demise of the galactic empire. He then creates a group of intelligent people with various skill sets to become the foundation of the new empire. With a Japanese youth being brought up on comic books and science fiction, these ideas were fascinating and appealing to many and the cult has been described as a real-life fantasy for members who sometimes came from a background of fantasy obsession. Om Shinrikyo even advertised their ability to teach levitation in magazines like Twilight Zone and put out anime recruitment videos that you can check out on YouTube. It might also be that Shoko's idea of Armageddon didn't sound so far-fetched to some of those born to a country that had suffered so greatly in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Shoko taught a mix of Hinduism, Buddhism and the Book of Revelations, with a focus on spirituality that included claims of being able to teach levitation and supernatural powers. He seemed to pick and choose from a variety of influences – he was also quite taken with Nostradamus, 
and a Japanese translation and commentary of the prophecies of Nostradamus that came out in 1973 was still quite popular throughout the country. He claimed to be both Christ and the first enlightened one since Buddha. He also claimed to have been Imhotep in a past life, vizier to the pharaoh Djoser, and architect of the Steppe Pyramid, as well as Benjamin Franklin, saying that the Freemasons would eventually join and follow Om Shinrikyo. According to a BBC article, followers could pay money to drink Shoko's bath water and even his blood. Members were provided with special battery-powered headsets with electrodes attached, called PSIs, or Perfect Salvation Initiations, that were apparently intended to sync their brainwaves with Shoko's and get them more in tune with his thoughts. As an aside, I've read about an OM-related pop group called Perfect Salvation that performed songs based on the words of Shoko Asahara, but I couldn't dig up any of their music. Back at OM, members were asked to sign over their assets offer large monetary donations at each step of their initiation and throughout their involvement with the group. In researching a number of cults, I've found that monetary contributions are a pretty regular element of involvement, unsurprisingly, and I think this works on a couple of levels. Obviously to help the group survive and thrive, and keep the leadership in comfort or even luxury. But in terms of control, it also feeds into the sunk cost fallacy – whereby the more a person invests in something, the harder it is to abandon ship. Leaving seems like it leads to a greater loss than continuing to believe in your investment. The top Google hit for sunk cost fallacy is David McCraney's You Are Not So Smart blog, and he points out that any of the 84 million people who've played Farmville might be familiar with this feeling. Om Shinrikyo members were given identity numbers, and many lived in compounds together, cut off from their families. Shoko Egawa, a journalist who wrote multiple books about Om Shinrikyo, reported for Nippon.com, Yet another tool used by the cult to mould the psyches of the members was sleep deprivation. Om members who lived in cult facilities performed all manner of tasks and chores while getting a bare minimum of sleep. They received no news, meanwhile, from the outside world, their only information input being what was imparted by the cult. She told a reporter from the Japan Times, The cultists eventually reached a state where, even if they felt their actions were wrong, they would automatically shake off such misgivings, thinking, This is training to rid me of doubt. The order cannot be wrong, because only Asahara sees the whole picture. Shoko's third daughter, Rika, says that members believed her father would take care of them in the present world and even the afterworld. They believed he would assume complete responsibility for whatever they do. Some were urged to borrow money to help fund the sect's activities, being told that the debts would be cancelled with the coming Armageddon. Isolated from society and non-sect connections, people in Om depended, more or less, upon my father. There are various reports that as part of their initiation, some female members were also required to have sexual encounters with Shoko Asahara. Devotees were told that the world was going to fall to mass violence and war, but that those who followed Shoko could be saved. An excerpt from one of Om's booklets reprinted in the New York Times reads, As we move toward the year 2000, there will be a series of events of inexpressible ferocity and terror. The lands of Japan will be transformed into a nuclear wasteland. Between 1996 and January 1998, America and its allies will attack Japan, and only 10% of the population of the major cities will survive. Robert J. Lifton focuses on megalomania as his suggested diagnosis of Shoko, which is often conflated with narcissistic personality disorder. It doesn't appear that many therapists would have had much time with Shoko in order to make a different diagnosis, and some question the point of diagnosing him at all. Either way, Shoko's rabid delusions of grandeur 
were being fed by the unwavering devotion his disciples showed towards him. In 1988, Majima Terayuki, a 21-year-old OM member, was undertaking a 24-hour meditation session when he had a heart attack and died. Some suggest that it was after this death that OM became more sinister, as Shoko had to find a way to justify his movement taking a life rather than saving it. Here he took the idea of POA, from a branch of Tibetan Buddhism called Vajrayana, which is about the transference of consciousness at the time of death. Shoko adapted this concept to suit his own aims, and contended that someone who was about to accumulate bad karma could be killed in the name of a guru, and would then be reborn in the next life with their karma intact. Shoko Agawa again. Most of the serious crimes committed by OM members took place under orders issued directly by Asahara to the perpetrators. OM's formal precepts prohibited the taking of life, and no one in the cult, even senior leaders, could violate those precepts at their own discretion. OM countenanced killing only as authorised by its guru, Asahara, And we know from the court testimony of OM members that the cult characterised Asahara-authorised murder as salvation. There were various claims of harassment of ex-members or relatives of members who were opposed to the sect, with more extreme cases involving kidnapping and murder. One woman who wanted to leave was told that she could only do so if she signed over all of her assets, which she agreed to but her brother was against the arrangement. According to Japanese newspaper reports, the brother then disappeared, and a van was found with his blood and the fingerprint of a senior OM member. The brother was never seen again. Hiroyuki Nageoka, after losing his son to the sect, set up a support group in October of 1989 for other parents whose children had ended up in OM. Journalist Shoko Agawa introduced Hiroyuki to Tsutsumi Sakamoto, a young lawyer who was looking to pursue a lawsuit against OM, and Tsutsumi helped him set up the group. Tsutsumi, his wife, and their young child disappeared the next month. Hiroyuki remained vocal about his opposition to the group and was harassed at his workplace so much that he decided to leave his job. A couple of months after that, he was sprayed with VX nerve agent, a chemical that Saddam Hussein once claimed to have tried and failed to synthesise. Hiroyuki was left numb down one side of his body, and resulting respiratory issues mean he still has to take oxygen with him wherever he goes. A month prior, another man that Shoko accused of being a police informant was killed with VX, in the first ever known case of death by the agents at that time. There are also reports of the use of electric shock therapy as a means to wipe the memories of members who were causing problems, as well as the use of drugs including LSD, and inadequate levels of food on top of the sleep deprivation as methods of control. A practice known as thermotherapy involved bathing in scalding water to purify oneself and is known to have killed at least one member. Journalists were reluctant to report negatively on the group so as not to be seen as critical of religious freedoms, but also because some had received threatening letters and even found their phones tapped, though Om denied all involvement. Shoko Egawa who was the first reporter to investigate OM, and would eventually go on to write seven books about the group, was hospitalised in 1994. She had woken up in the middle of the night to find herself choking on phosgene, an agent used in World War I as well as by the Imperial Japanese Army's Unit 731 in the Second Sino-Japanese War.
Sarin is an odourless and colourless nerve gas that was discovered by German scientists in 1938 and passed on to the government to be developed by the Nazi Party in 1939. By the end of World War II, a German production facility was under construction, but had not yet been completed when the war finished. In its purest form, sarin gas is said to be 500 times more toxic than cyanide gas, and is generally considered a weapon of mass destruction. For an average-sized person, half a milligram is a toxic dose. Even at low concentrations, inhalation can result in death by asphyxiation as a result of the paralysis of the lung muscles. Permanent neurological damage can be suffered by those who breathe in a non-lethal dose without immediate treatment. In 1992, the Chemical Weapons Convention had been agreed by 159 countries. The convention, quote, aims to eliminate an entire category of weapons of mass destruction by prohibiting the development, production, acquisition, stockpiling, retention, transfer, or use of chemical weapons. By 1994, only 27 of the 159 countries had ratified it. Japan was not one of those 27, though neither was the United States. And not that it's a competition, but just for the record, Australia ratified the convention in May of 1994. In that year, Shoko Asahara said, It has become clear now that my first death will be caused by something like a poison gas, such as sarin. According to the New York Times, in a report that also mentions Shoko's claims that the American military was dropping sarin gas on OM compounds. On June 27 of that same year, there was a sarin attack in Matsumoto in Japan's Nagano Prefecture, where OM Shinrikyo was facing massive opposition to its plans to build a sect facility. Outside an apartment block, a converted refrigeration truck released the gas by heating up its liquid form. Judges involved in a case that was expected to go against Om happened to reside in this block. Quoted in a Japan Times article in 2014, marking 20 years since the attack, local resident Toishi Koibuchi, who was 50 at the time, says... Just after I got out of the bath, my nose started to run. It wasn't like a normal runny nose, it was running like water. And when I looked at a light bulb, all I could see was a pinprick of light. I felt very strange. Then I got diarrhea and headaches. It was indescribable. I had no idea what it was. I started to feel very, very sick. Yoshiyuki Kono, noticing his wife had collapsed and that he was feeling unwell, called emergency services immediately and was the first to report the incident at 11.09pm. As the first caller, he found himself under some suspicion, which deepened when the police came across a variety of chemicals in his apartment that he claimed were for photography processing and pottery. Japanese newspapers started pointing the finger at Yoshiyuki, who was himself in hospital for a month while his wife remained in a coma and two of their three children were treated for exposure to the gas. He found himself treated like a criminal upon being discharged from hospital, with friends and family reporting harassment from members of the public as well. In the days and months following the attack, seven people died and over 250 had been injured by the gas. Also in 1994, Om Shinrikyo set up its own shadow government, with ministers for finance, education and more. Hideo Murai, Om's chief scientist, became the Minister for Science and Technology. The group was setting up its own structures to take the place of the Japanese government. On January 17, 1995, the Great Hanshin Earthquake Disaster, also known as the Kobe Earthquake, hit the southern part of Japan's Hyogo Prefecture, 
killing over 5,000 people and devastating much of Kobe and its surrounds. Shoko cited the destruction as evidence that his apocalyptic predictions were on their way. On Monday, March 20th, 1995, just before 8am, Om Shinrikyo members Dr. Ikuo Hayashi, 48 years old, 37-year-old Yasuo Hayashi, no relative of Dr. Ikuo, 30-year-old Kenichi Hirose, Masato Yokoyama, 31, and 27-year-old Toru Toyoda boarded rush hour Tokyo metro trains. They carried with them bags of sarin gas, which they pierced with the sharpened tips of umbrellas before disembarking. Hours earlier, they had taken pyridostigmine bromide pills, a pre-treatment for exposure to nerve agent. The likely location target was Kasumigaseki Station, where various government buildings were located. Commuters started to notice runny noses and a tightness in their chests. Some would have had trouble breathing and begun to feel nauseous. Those most affected would have collapsed within minutes of exposure. Japanese author Haruki Murakami, who had been living outside of Japan for nine years at the time, went back to interview victims of the attacks, feeling that the Japanese media was focusing too much on the perpetrators and missing the effect of the attacks on individual people. I certainly found in researching this episode that the stories of victims of the Tokyo attacks were harder to come by than first-hand accounts available of the Matsumoto incident. From Murakami's 1996 interviews, published in his book Underground in 2000, Kiyoka Izumi, who was 26 at the time of the attack, spoke about her experience on emerging from Kasumigaseki Station. She described the scene as hell, and when she found herself surrounded by crying people, she admonished them that it was no time for that, only to be told that in fact they weren't crying at all. Another female victim, writing anonymously to the Manichi Shimbun about her experiences four years later, said, I thought it was strange that everyone in the carriage seemed to be coughing. Then tears started to flood my eyes, my nose wouldn't stop running, and even though I tried to breathe, the air wouldn't flow into my lungs. Then I started to feel faint. After I was taken to hospital, my throat felt as though it had been scorched. I was hospitalised for two weeks. Every time I smelled cigarette smoke, my throat would start to convulse violently. Kasumigaseki Deputy Station Master Toshiaki Toyoda was on duty that day. He heard reports of suspicious packages and found his colleagues on the platform cleaning up what looked like spilled oil with newspapers. Taking the papers downstairs... Toshiaki's vision started to blur, and then he collapsed. When he woke up, he was in hospital. He told the BBC's witness program, The pain never stops coming after me, because two of my subordinates died, and me, the supervisor, lived. I wish I'd known more about Saren and how to deal with it. Aichi Wada a 29-year-old tobacco company employee and 76-year-old retiree Yasuo Hori were also among those killed in the attack. Aichi's first child was due the following month. Initial fatalities stood at 12, and in the end, 13 people died as a result of the attack, with injuries in the multiple thousands and many affected for life. These fatalities were far lower than Shoko had planned for, in part due to the liquid form of sarin they were using, and in part due to the previous Matsumoto attack. 
Hiroshi Morita and his Shinshu University colleague, Nobuo Yanagasawa, had just finished working on a report about Matsumoto's sarin incident, when Nobuo saw the news of the Tokyo Metro attacks. They called and faxed dozens of Tokyo hospitals with detailed instructions on how to treat the victims effectively. So while Om may have used Matsumoto as a guinea pig for the bigger Tokyo attack to come, this had actually helped to prepare medical staff, who could then work to minimise the effects this time around. Many survivors suffered from post-traumatic stress disorders for years following the attacks. Atsushi Sakahara, who was on the metro that day and attended hospital with vision problems, later quit his job in an advertising agency to re-evaluate his life. He became associate producer on a short film called Bean Cake, which won the 2001 short film Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, and is currently in production on a documentary called Sarin Gas and the Odd Couple, in which he travels around Japan with a former OM member. Following the Tokyo attack, now Japan's most wanted man, Shoko Asahara released videos claiming that Om was not responsible, and that the US had dropped biological weapons on his followers. He said, If we are going to start a war, it will be with the United States. Police, however, proceeded to raid a number of Om properties, sending in canaries before them in case of the presence of gas. At the sect's training compound, they found 50 members in an advanced state of malnutrition and dehydration, some almost unconscious, but the members refused to leave when they were offered medical help. Within full view of the media and police officers, on his way to an OM property on April 23rd, Chief Scientist Hideo Murai, aged 36 at the time, was stabbed by a Yakuza member and died later in hospital. The whole incident was filmed and played repeatedly on Japanese television, with the attacker arrested immediately on the scene, showing no resistance. Hideo Murai would have likely been arrested himself not long after this date. Shoko was finally arrested, hiding in a small hidden room at OMS headquarters near Mount Fuji on May 15, 1995. While the effects of the attack were very serious indeed, on a subway system that carried 5.8 million people a day, it could have been a lot worse. Investigators later shared that a further plan to utilise a Russian helicopter to disperse sarin over the city had been thwarted which again, shocking though the Tokyo attack was, could have been much more devastating. The Australian sheep station owned by the group had been used for animal testing of various agents. And Australian investigations found that OM had also been mining uranium, potentially with a view to manufacture nuclear weapons. Though it's understood today that Om Shinrikyo was ultimately responsible for at least 14 biological and chemical weapons attacks between 1990 and 1995, including the use of cyanide and anthrax, Shoko's plan to destabilise the Japanese government and replace it in the resulting chaos with his own power structure had ultimately failed. Shoko was tried for the deaths and injuries resulting from the sarin gas attack, as well as ordering the killing of various sect members and outsiders who disagreed with him. His trial took many years, with Shoko refusing to enter a plea and speaking mainly in incomprehensible mutterings to police. His lawyers claimed that OM members undertook the attacks of their own accord and without Shoko's knowledge. Many followers continued to believe in their leader, but many more left the group. Tomoko Matsumoto, Shoko's wife and a senior sect member, was found guilty of approving the January 1994 murder of a former OM follower. Katara Ochida, who was 29, 
was caught with ex-member Hideaki Yasuda, trying to break into a cult building to get Hideaki's mother out. Hideaki, under threat of his own life, was ordered to commit POA and strangle Kotaro in front of Shoko, Tomiko and senior ARM members. Shoko, in his only confession on June 21st, 1995, admitted to ordering the killing. The next day, 53-year-old bank employee Fumio Kujimi hijacked All Nippon Airways Flight 857, demanding the release of Shoko. Fumio threatened a flight attendant with a sharpened screwdriver and terrorised passengers, claiming to have plastic explosives on him. The explosives turned out to be just clay, and while passengers had been sitting on the tarmac for 15 hours, nobody was harmed by the time the plane was stormed and the hijacker arrested. Om Shinrikyo denied any ties with Fumio. Om's former intelligence chief and Shoko's former chauffeur testified against Tomiko, who was sentenced to seven years in May 1998 with her sentence being reduced to six years by the Tokyo High Court in September 1999. Tomiko maintained her innocence and donated 20 million yen to Kotaro Ochida's family when she inherited 40 million yen after the death of her mother. She donated the remaining 20 million yen to a fund for the victims of the Tokyo Metro sarin attack and was released from prison in late 2002. In the wake of their arrest, Om followers led police to the bodies of Tsutsumi Sakamoto, his wife, and their young son. Tsutsumi was the lawyer who had helped Hiroyuki Nageoka set up a support group for parents, and he had spoken out against the sect to major television station Tokyo Broadcasting System in late 1989, before he and his family disappeared. During testimony in March of 1996, sect member Tomomasa Nakagawa told of how Tsutsumi had been strangled in his own bedroom in November of 1989, along with his wife, who begged that their child be spared before he was said to have been suffocated, with six OM members, including Tomomasa, involved in the home invasion and murders. Of the five men who carried out the attack on the Tokyo Metro that day in March, only Dr. Ikuo Hayashi was not sentenced to death. He cooperated fully with the investigation and participated in the trials for the prosecution of Shoko Asahara and other OM members. He wrote a report in his own defence about the character of Shoko, stating that he, quote, suffered from a narcissistic obsession Several traumatic setbacks led him to nurse wild, destructive ambitions. Ikuo Hayashi was sentenced to life in prison. Kenichi Hirosi, Toru Toyoda, and Masato Yokoyama were all sentenced to hang. Hirosi wrote to the Yomiuri Shimbun upon his sentencing quote, Facing the grave fact that 12 people were killed and many were seriously injured, it is impossible to feel any objection toward receiving the death sentence. Yasuo Hayashi, when he was caught 1,000 miles from Tokyo on Ishigaki Island after eluding the police for 21 months, was also given the death penalty. Finally, in February 2004, Shoko Asahara was found guilty of multiple charges, including involvement in 27 murders and sentenced to death. 18 senior OM members were also tried for the Tokyo attack, with 12 being given the death penalty and 5 receiving life sentences. 192 members were eventually tried in relation to the sect's various illegal activities. Shoko's lawyers appealed his sentence, and his final appeal was denied in September 2006. He remains on death row today, 
with his lawyers claiming that he has lost his mind and can't recognise or communicate with family members any longer. He's been known to masturbate and urinate in front of them when they visit. Robert J. Lifton suggests that Shoko had deteriorated psychologically prior to ordering the Tokyo attack. A court-appointed doctor says that it's all a ruse put on to attempt to avoid hanging. After Shoko's arrest in May of 1995, the Nagano police held a press conference in which they said that they regretted their treatment of Yoshiyuki Kono, the victim previously blamed for the Matsumoto sarin attack. Although the falsely accused Yoshiyuki only received his official apology some seven years later. Several Japanese newspapers issued a public apology to Yoshiyuki, who told the New York Times, Scholars talk about the damage that the media can do, but you can't understand it until you've been through it. It's indescribable. It's totally devastating psychologically. His wife Sumiko remained in a coma for 14 years, and Yoshiyuki would eventually receive visits from ex-Om Shinrikyo members offering apologies, including former Om spokesman Fumihiro Joyu. Sumiko finally passed away in 2008, named as the eighth life taken by the 1994 Matsumoto attack. It was also revealed that Japanese authorities had been aware of numerous attempts by Om Shinrikyo to purchase and manufacture chemical weapons in the early 1990s, and that the group had also been under investigation by the CIA in relation to its interest in acquiring nuclear capabilities. Om Shinrikyo was declared illegal in Russia and would eventually be labelled a terrorist organisation in America, but Japan hoped that with the decimation of its leadership, the bulldozing of its properties, and a declaration of bankruptcy, it would now just fade away. In March 2008, after 12 years of bankruptcy proceedings, victims of alms crimes were told that they would share in the resulting estimated 1.5 billion yen. They'd been awarded more like 3.8 billion yen in compensation, however, so the rest would have to be made up by the government. By 2011, Shizue Takahashi, the widow of one of the Kasumi Gaseki train station workers who died from sarin exposure, had attended over 400 hearings for OM-related crimes over the 16 years since the attack had taken her husband. In 2012, there was another development in the case, with three senior sect members who had been on the run for 17 years finally being arrested. Makoto Hirata, who is now 46, had actually tried to turn himself into the police at the turn of the new year, but it took him three attempts to be believed. In 2014, he was sentenced to nine years in jail for his various involvements in illegal activities with the group. Naoko Kikuchi, who is now 40, was arrested on June 3, 2012, after a police tip-off. She admitted to her involvement in transporting chemicals for the group, but stated that she was unaware they would be used to manufacture bombs. Originally sentenced to five years in jail, the High Court overturned the lower court's decision and ultimately acquitted her, accepting her claims. Her years in hiding inspired two fictional films, 2012's Where Does Love Go? by Bonyo Kimura, and 2013's Lurking the Silence of the Cult by Nobuhiku Hosaka. Shortly after Naoko's arrest, the police ramped up their search for the last remaining Om Shinriko fugitive, Katsuya Takahashi, with whom Naoko had stayed in touch. He was captured on security cameras withdrawing 2 million yen from a bank in Kawasaki, south of Tokyo, and was located and arrested on June 15, 2012. In April 2015, 
Katsuya was sentenced to life in prison against charges including murder, attempted murder, kidnapping and solitary confinement resulting in death. Today there are known to be two offshoots of Om Shinrikyo. Aleph is essentially a rebrand of Om, and had multiple properties raided by police in April 2006, for fear that they were still following the radical teachings of Shoko, but followers claim to have distanced themselves from his leadership and beliefs. They also set up a fund to help compensate Om Shinrikyo's victims. Many aren't buying it, however, with another scolding-related death occurring in 2005, that of Wakashio Togashi, who had served an eight-year prison term for his role in adapting the van involved in the Matsumoto attack. Aleph is said to be running dozens of businesses, mostly in computers, with unsalaried members as workers, and at least one of Shoko's daughters is understood to still have some involvement with them. Another offshoot is known as Hikari no Wa, or Circle of Rainbow Light, and is kept under surveillance by Japanese authorities. It's an Aleph breakaway led by Fumihiro Joyu, who was the main press spokesman defending Shoko Asahara and Om Shinrikyo following the Tokyo attack, and who had been involved in a power struggle with Aleph. Just last year in Russia, where the group is illegal, there were dozens of raids and ten arrests in St. Petersburg related to suspected OM cultists. Russia since declared the group a terrorist organisation. For Shoko's children who aren't involved with Aleph, life hasn't been easy since their father's arrest and trial. Their association with one of Japan's most hated figures is seemingly impossible to shake. One daughter attempted suicide after facing bullying at school, and others have faced institutional discrimination, being blocked from education and job opportunities. Another daughter was awarded 300,000 yen in damages from a university who refused to admit her, and a son at the age of 11 was refused admission to a junior school in spite of passing the entrance exams. They survive with the monetary support of a former OM member and part-time work, which they find they have to change whenever an employer is tipped off about their identity. Shoko's third daughter, Rika Matsumoto, published a memoir in 2015, 20 years after the Tokyo attack, admitting that it was impossible for her to have a private life. Hikari Noa leader Fumihiro Joyu spoke to Tokyo Weekender on the 20th anniversary of the attacks as well. he changed his views a lot from the dedication that he once felt to Om Shinrikyo and Shoko Asahara. I don't view Om as a unique singular phenomenon. In history, groups like this have appeared cyclically in different forms. It could be a nationalistic country, a political theory like communism or a religious movement. The ideology may sound different, but fundamentally it's the same. We are 100% right, our opponents are completely wrong. It's our job to save the world. I think there are similarities between OM and ISIS. Elite members, a hatred of the US, the belief that the end of the world is coming. History is constantly repeating itself. Here's what Fumihiro Joyu had to say about Shoko Asahara himself. I think rather than just condemning people like this, we should try and understand them better and attempt to find a psychological vaccine for their disease. One way of doing this is for someone like me, who was infected and managed to recover, to let people know what happened and how we can prevent it from occurring again in the future. Ex-OM members say that they have faced a lot of discrimination in Japanese society whenever their previous ties to the cult become known, especially in relation to jobs. Although many were unaware of what was going on in the higher levels of the sect and had nothing to do with the group's criminal activities, as a result of the heinous crimes of their former associates, they are no longer seen as victims themselves. 
For many, there would have been a huge difficulty in coming to understand that what they had believed was in fact a result of brainwashing. Taro Takamoto, a lawyer who started the Canary Group, a support network for ex-OM members named after the canaries used by police in the 1995 raids, told the Japan Times that about a third of those he'd encountered were suffering from depression, and some had died by suicide. Hiroyuki Nageoka, who had formed the support group for parents of OM members, did manage to get his son out before the attacks happened and they worked hard together to get more people out. Since the trial verdicts, his belief that members were completely brainwashed by the guru even extended to the support group starting a petition requesting the pardon of those on death row, except for Shoko himself. His son, the ex-member, however, told the Japan Times, If you kill someone, you have to atone for your sins in this life in accordance to Japanese law. It's true the 12 men on death row might have been under Asahara's influence, but the reality is that they killed people. I don't think our tax money should be used to keep them alive. This episode, I'll leave the final word with Shoko Ogawa, the journalist who became an expert on Om Shinrikyo. From an article she wrote in 2015 for Nippon.com. A lot of former OM members experienced a reawakening in the course of undergoing interrogation and hearing in court from the family members of their victims. The defendants shook loose bonds of mind control, reconnected with their former selves and embraced a sense of genuine regret for their actions. They received no leniency, however, in their sentencing as the courts declined to accept mind control as an extenuating circumstance. The thought of the impending deaths only deepens the gloom I feel for the past loss of life. If you've been enjoying the podcast and have a moment to spare, I'd love you to give us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps us more than you might realise. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult, or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via www.cifs.org.au. And you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via www.icsahome.com and the Freedom of Mind Resource Centre via freedomofmind.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at www.iasp.info. Let's Talk About Sects is researched and presented by me, Sarah Steele. Sound design and music is by Joe Gould. Voice work by Joe Gould, Jessica McLean, Dale Marchant, Christian Lee, Emma Corrick and Peter Waller-Bryant. All information sources are listed on our website at ltaspod.com. You can also find Let's Talk About Sects on Facebook and Twitter, so please feel free to get involved with the conversation online there. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and hope you can join us next episode when we'll talk about an Australian sect called Kenja Communication. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.